everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. Who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as usual I'm joined by my co-host Mick. No, I have no mortal name. I'm the anthropomorphic representation of reviewed adaptations. Behold, I am derision. Of the endless. Gotcha. You can really hear the lip pout in that one, can't you? <laughs> I told you I'd be working on it. <laughs> so this is why you were late to the recording. Yes. Now you say anyway. like now you put it like that, I feel it was a waste of my time. Wait till the next episode. <laughs> anyway, as... I mean, I guess someone might have guessed from that. <laughs> this time round, we're going to be beholding The Sandman, which is the 2022 Netflix series created by Neil Gaiman, David S. Goyer, and Alan Heinberg, and based on the DC comic series created by Gaiman, Sam Keith, and Mike Dringenberg. And unique in adaptations in that they had to wait 30 years to uh, genetically enhance a human being to actually portray the title character. Yeah, I guess. They needed to wait for someone who just naturally is a strange, unearthly, chaotically black-haired ultra-goth. And then they had to wait a few more years because Robert Smith decided to go into music instead. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. It is spooky, though, isn't it? He is so Morpheus. He really is. <laughs> I feel like that genuinely has been the problem for the life. I was just going, who can play Morpheus? Yeah. I mean, back in the day, I always had this fantasy sort of I often do this with, with franchises that I like. You know, I'll read a comic book and think, oh, who could play this in the movie? And if we did a reboot of a beloved TV series, who could I cast as Serverland in a new um, Blake 7, for example? And back in the day when I was reading the Sandman comics, one of the few times where we'll refer, <laughs> refer to a 90s comic that I actually read at the time... Um, it was like, I never really thought about uh, Morpheus, but Helena Bonham Carter, I wanted Helena Bonham Carter to play Death. Oh, God. yeah, if they had made... If they'd made Sandman when she was in her 20s, she is Death. Just the kookiness, the wackiness, slightly posh, and goth look. It It, it was all there. They'd barely have needed to give her a costume, to be fair. She'd have just turned up on set. <laughs> Put a I mean, necklace on, you're done. I mean, I think what you're going to end up with is absolutely a Sandman film where Helena Bonham Carter is death, and by extension, Johnny Depp is Morpheus and Tim Burton's directing it. Yeah, you see, that was before that triumvirate sort of ruined, well, all three of their careers. I mean, definitely not financially, though. No, not financially, but 
creatively. Get <laughs> back before every film is just. Do I just do the same thing again? <laughs> but this time in a barber shop with songs. Uh, this time with a white rabbit. This time in a house filled with vampires. But anyway, circling back to things. So, you're familiar with Sandman the comics. Yes. Of course you are, because everyone is. Yes, and it's weird because it's not the ultra-popular superhero comic. You know, like, everybody as kids grew up reading uh, Spider-Man and Batman and Thor and, and, and all that jazz. For a for a period of time, everybody does that. Sandman belongs to that sort of early nineties phenomenon of comics for grown ups. Yes, I was going to say it is the archetypal. Oh, you don't like comics, but no, this is this this ain't a kids book. Yeah, and it was at that point that certain people started not referring to them as comics, but referring to them as serial illustrated media or graphic novels to give them some kind of air of respectability because apparently it wasn't a social norm to just enjoy comics when you were a bit older than a teenager. Oh, God, yeah, that was a time, wasn't it? Just the insistence on things like, no, no, it's it's illustrated literature. Yeah, yes, it's... (laughs) It's the ninth art form. Go on, name the other eight. What? <laughs> um, yeah, but I I can probably do it because it's like television, film, books, um, that xylophone, but it's made out of mice, the recorder. Just just go back to the xylophone that's made out of mice. That's actually just TV. That was a Monty Python thing. I know it was a Monty Python <laughs> sketch. And they had to be blind as well. Yeah. It was it was what's his name in his musical rodents? That's it. Yeah. But yeah, so it, yeah, so the 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 problem was and I I, I hey Nineties comic book fans, I don't blame you. I blame society. It was them that forced us to try and label our passion, our hobby. We we didn't we were quite happy calling them comics. It was the society that made us feel we had to give it a name so that we sounded like grown ups when we were talking about it. Damn you, yeah. society. I assume you that like shaking your fist just in, in the general direction of society. Yes. That's the trouble with the audio format. <laughs> yes, it, it doesn't quite come across. Maybe we ought to introduce audio description to the podcast. Mick is shaking his fist. Damn you, society! Mick puts his fist down. Grumpily. Meanwhile, the people listening to the audio description are none the wiser because they have no idea what Mick looks like. Because this is an audio podcast. 
It was almost perfect. <laughs> but yeah, Sandman is one of those. I, I don't think I even really need to say it's good, do I? I mean, this is the thing. To say that Sandman, and, and, and I mean Sandman the comic, to say that Sandman comics were good is a bit like saying that Shakespeare had a lot to say in his plays. And he did. Mostly because he was just translating what he got told by the Lord of Dreams. <laughs> but it's... The thing about Sandman, every now and then a comic book comes along that is so different. It's so off the wall. It's so... Um, on the surface, niche. You know, it doesn't appeal to the comic book fan. It doesn't appeal to the, the old-style war comic fan. It's not sci-fi. It's not fantasy. It's a little bit of both, and yet at the same time, neither. It's, yeah, it's also it, it's almost, more than just it's people in capes and they're doing a bit of the punchy punch. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you think, right... When Neil Gaiman pitched this to Vertigo, was it Vertigo? Um, it was DC initially, because basically Sandman started before Vertigo did. Right. Okay. And then when Vertigo was set up, it got folded into that. Right. So, but, you know, I mean, let's face it. We know it's notoriously difficult to pitch even a completed film to DC these days. Yes. You know, a completed film that they spent 90 million on. Yes, turns out just because you've shot a film doesn't need to, <laughs> doesn't mean to say anyone ever needs to see it. I think I think that what's happened is that the reason we ended up with Quasi Quarteng as Chancellor is because Liz Truss's original choice went off to be the budget manager for DC. And the best part is, even at time of recording, that's now already an obsolete reference. I know, I know. But the one, the only good thing you can say about Quasi as Chancellor was that at least his name wasn't rhyming slang. Yeah, that's true. He, he didn't make a Jeremy Hunt of the NHS. Exactly. So, anyway, we've digressed into politics again, as we want to do. Thus rendering the scamps we are. Thus, thus rendering this podcast no longer timeless. So, but the thing is, pitching this to DC must have been an almost impossible task. It's like, what's it about? Well, it's about everything, really, and at the same time, it's about nothing. Yeah, Who's in I, it? I, I definitely think. <laughs> If Neil Gaiman was not Neil Gaiman, like he he couldn't have gotten away with it. Like if it was just a DC staff writer, they would yeah. have said, "No, absolutely not." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but then, what had Neil Gaiman done up to this point? Um. Oh yeah, because this was like pre-American it, Gods, wasn't it? Yeah, he'd not yet done um, Good Omens with Pratchett. I don't think. Yeah, had he had he done Nevermore by this point? Never where you mean. Nevermore's what the Raven says in the four stories. 
Nevermore, quoth the raven. Honestly, you philistine. Anyway, back to the back to the classics. Sandman. <laughs> but yeah, I, I know it was definitely it wasn't a case of Neil Gaiman being a comics writer who got handed it. It was definitely more a case of DC want author Neil Gaiman to do something for them. So when he says, "Yeah, I've got this out, out there idea for Sandman," they just gotta go. D- yeah, I guess we trust you. Of course, it also could have been that at this point they were like, well, Marvel's basically bankrupt, so who cares? We, <laughs> yeah, we can put out anything at this point. <laughs> um, right. Uh, okay. He'd done some stuff with uh, 2000 AD, but then any comic writer worth their salt had done Future Shocks for 2000 AD. Yeah, I mean, what you've just said was. He was a British comic creator. <laughs> <laughs> um, he'd done Violent Cases with Dave McKean, who he would later work on with um, in Sandman. Yeah, I know. Dave McKean did basically every single cover for all 75 issues. Yeah. Um, the Adventures of Luther Arkwright, which I think Mark Gattis later did a novelisation of. He might have done. He's he's part of that kind of like yeah. click, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he he'd done a few bits and pieces, sort of quite a lot of work with Dave McKean, um, up to sort of nineteen eighty, nineteen ninety one. Some of them will be revisited later. Um, and he'd done Black Orchid first for DC. Um, and then it got reissued by Vertigo. Uh, and then he started on the Sandman. And amen to that. Yeah, and several decades later, here we are. Yes, indeed. Um, on the books of magic, the books of Oh, basically DC's Harry Potter. Yes, but probably better. I can't remember reading the books of magic. I remember the artwork being superb on them. Yeah, I think I think that's the one I'm thinking. Of. The main character's a guy called Tim Hunter, who is literally a Harry Potter ripoff. Yeah, only but not because it was before. Man, maybe he didn't come into like the end of the series then. Yeah, nineteen ninety was Good Omens with Terry Pratchett. And when was the first Sandman? Sandman was it? It's like mid nineties, wasn't it? It's about ninety two, I think. Because that oh, was wow, that early. Yeah, because I I was reading Sandman comics before I moved down south, and I moved down south in nineteen ninety two. At the end of nineteen ninety two, so. Yeah, let's have a look. Yeah, Preludes and Nocturnes was collected together in 1991. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah, obviously you've got more of an advantage being there at the time. I kind of had to retroactively read some Sandman since I was not old enough to read at that point. Honestly, you, 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 as a protozoic 
future child just didn't put the effort in, did you? You're right. I should have just been banging on that wound wall saying, Oi, mother, get me some Sandman. Yeah. Damn right. <laughs> By the way, yes. It's also taken a good long while for Sandman to get an adaptation, as as we've mentioned before. Well, and and I think for good reason. I mean, if you on a previous episode we've talked about Spawn, and if any comic book adaptation needs CGI, it's realizing the endless and all of dreaming siblings, uh, all of dream siblings. Um, and their impact on humanity. You need CGI to realise that. There's just no way you can do it. If they tried to do it, in, if they'd have tried to cash in on Sandman in 1992, it would have killed the franchise. <laughs> the, the technological capabilities just weren't up to snuff. And I think, apart from genetically growing the lead actor in a tank somewhere until he matured enough to become Morpheus on screen... They also yeah. needed the technology to do the CGI to grow up I mean, as well. In my mind, I can see it as, and yes, it's absolutely Johnny Depp because, of course, it would have been. And he's just like against a really bad green screen, and you can just see him like waving his arms, going, Oh, we're flying to the dream. <laughs> and it's just like random video of just cobble together city streets or something yeah. and it looks so bad yeah so in many ways I'm quite glad we've had to work, wait 30 years for an adaptation of Sam because yeah. I feel like it's not just CGI as well it's specifically you kind of need TV CGI to get good yes. enough yeah that, that's the thing it needs to be that the technology has moved on enough so that it's capable of fitting within a TV budget. Yeah. We could have had a Sandman movie probably about five or ten years ago. Yeah, but then you run into the problem of like how do you adapt the first few arcs of Sandman into a movie? Exactly. Because they're very clearly broken up into like episodic chunks. Yeah. And 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 we've also discussed in on, on many occasions in the past how DC characters probably lend themselves more to that episodic format and the ability to breathe, regardless of whether they're written by Gaiman or not, even um, even some of the Justice League characters work better on TV than they do in their big-budget blockbuster movie versions. Yeah, because you get the more kind of like family life in between connective tissue bits. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of connective tissue in this. There is indeed. It's, kind of, <laughs> it's basically like the bread and butter of Sandman, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, right. I'm going to be intrigued as to how you synopsize this, especially if you're going to include all 11 episodes. Um... <laughs> Again, more or less. And you know how we just mentioned how all the connective tissue bits are really important to Sandman? Yeah. They're also not so important that they made it into the synopsis. 
Right, shall I uh, barrel through this then? Yeah. And as per usual, full spoilers ahead. So, in the year 1916, occultist Roderick Burgess, played by Charles Dance, because he's an aristocratic evil English bloke, of course he's played by Charles Dance. And has to come to a sticky end. Let's not forget that. Oh, of course. I mean, I think it's in his contract that he has to make yeah. some kind of on the, on, horrible, violent end. I mean, on this occasion, it's slightly more dignified than his Game of Thrones exit. Yes, he at least was not slightly. on the toilet. <laughs> so, he tries to summon the embodiment of death in order to resurrect his son. However, the ritual goes wrong, and he instead summons death's brother Morpheus, the Lord of Dreams, played by Tom Sturridge, again, the actual embodiment of the Lord of Dreams. Yes. So, Dream spends the next 106 years trapped in Burgess's summoning circle, before finally escaping in 2021. He returns to the Dreaming, only to find it has fallen into disarray in his absence, and several dreams have escaped into the waking world. With the help of his librarian Lucienne, played by Vivienne Achampong, and Raven Matthew, played by Patton Oswalt, Although, I should probably say voiced by Pat Well, It's not like him. Yeah, it's not like they've squeezed him into a raven suit, like some sort of bizarre version of the penguin from 66 Batman. <laughs> Although Pat Oswald would still have said yes. He would have. <laughs> and just to briefly divert to what is probably the one unforgivable sin of this series, he would have been as much a raven as the other bloody ravens in this are. <laughs> Because his first raven is quite clearly a magpie. And that's a different bird. And based on his size, I'm pretty sure Matthew's a crow, not a raven. I mean, if this is your only criticism of Sandman, aside, this is your only criticism of Sandman, right? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty good hit rate, really, isn't it? I mean, I suppose I can forgive it. Anyway. My my cat's just started singing at me for so, no apparent reason. I haven't seen her be that weird since she stood transfixed in front of the episode Dream of a Thousand Cats. That's concerning. <laughs> Honestly. Why would you let your cat watch that episode? Mick? That's it, very it, irresponsible. it wasn't that. I was watching the episode. The cats were there. They've got, you know, these climbing towers you get for cats with the sisal poles that they can scratch on and stuff. They, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm aware. Yeah, I, I, uh, they were on that sort of like doing their morning ritual, you know, preening themselves and, you know, they'd just had their breakfast and stuff and I, I I had a day off work and I thought, oh, I'll just catch up on the last couple of episodes of Sandman and I put on The Dream of a Thousand Cats and for the entire runtime of the episode, they sat there transfixed and then the minute it went into Calliope they buggered off. That's how many cats do you have, Mick? Two. Brother and sister. Delphi and Dre. Uh, okay, that's that's not bad. We've still got like 9,998 to go then. <laughs> yeah, but they may have spread the word. <laughs> Delphi might be the avatar now. <laughs> oh. I 
I can't believe that the one impact of this podcast is going to be that we accidentally made cats take over the world. It's all right. I'm sure it'll all switch back when the humans start dreaming again. Okay, but what if the humans remember what the world was like? <laughs> you want to go back to a world where Liz Truss is Prime Minister? Because I don't. I'd rather let the cats rule. Let the cats hunt us at night. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on with your synopsis play. Yes. So, with the help of his friends, Dream tracks down his stolen artifacts. It will restore his full power. So he first recovers his pouch of sand with the help of magician Joanna Constantine, played by Jenna Coleman, then challenges Lucifer, played by Gwendolyn Christie, in hell for his magic helm, and finally confronts the dangerously unstable John D, played by David Thewlis, for his ruby. And bam, that's half the series done. Yeah. So, back to his full power, Morpheus begins searching for escaped dreams, but instead comes across Rose Walker by Kyo Ra. Rose is a dream vortex, which is someone with the ability to unconsciously manipulate the dreams of others and make them real, such as allowing her friend Lighter, played by Razan Jamal, to become pregnant through a dream of her dead husband. And if you think that's as confusing as that storyline's going to get, I've got some fun in the discussion. <laughs> so... Rose is able to lead Morpheus to one of the escaped dreams, hiding out in the mind of her missing brother, Jed, played by Eddie Karanja. However, one of the other dreams, the Corinthian, played by Bald Ho- Boyd Holbrook, kidnaps Jed and uses her to lure... Uses, her- uses him to lure Rose to a serial killer convention so that he can use her power to destroy Morpheus. Uh, Dream is able to defeat the Corinthian, though, but realises they'll have to kill Rose as her powers as the Vortex, threatening to destroy the Dreaming. However, Rose's great-grandmother Unity, played by Sandra James Young, is able to offer her life instead, as she was originally supposed to be the Dream Vortex, but was trapped in a coma while Dream was imprisoned. The end. Except for the bonus episode, where cats want to take over the world, and Rip Hunter has made some questionable life choices after leaving Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> it's a DC connected universe. Exactly. <laughs> and he also brought the War Master with him from Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot Jacoby was like very briefly the master. <laughs> So yeah, that's more or less the Sandman. Admittedly, more or less than more and more, but the, that's very broad strokes, a summary of the first series. And, and But this is the thing with Sandman, isn't it? You know, um, if if someone said to you, synopsize the Sandman comics for me, I mean, even when they collect them together into editions, you know, you've got preludes and nocturnes, but the ramifications from those ripple through the the doll's house and other bits and pieces. It's it's not a self-contained thing. It rambles on in a good way for quite a bit. I yeah. have I have one slight gripe 
with with Sandman that is not the gripe you have, <laughs> right? And that is, there's some quite high-profile casting for some quite short-lived screen time. Yeah, like I know, I know Jenna Coleman. She's literally in one episode, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, I mean, she has some brief scenes in a couple of episodes either side, like in flashbacks and dream sequences and stuff. But essentially, she's there for one episode. The same with um, Lucifer. There's a big build-up to Lucifer, one big set piece. And we've got to remember that the Lucifer show from a couple of years back is based on the spin-off comic Lucifer, which span out of the Sandman franchise. Yeah, because that was... It's not a complaint, but it's kind of one of the weird, kind of funny things about Sandman is how much... Obviously, they want this to be more of its own thing. So they've just had to, like, file a lot of the serial numbers off of kind of other existing DC things. Yeah. So it's weird to think... That the Lucifer in this is technically the same Lucifer from the Lucifer TV show, but not really. Yeah. Um. And uh, and I guess yes, Arthur Darville playing the author that's um. Yes, give... Richard Maddock is his name in the series. Yeah. Isn't it? Um. That's. That means that. Some, I mean, to be fair the Arrowverse is dead on its arse anyway. So there's never going to be a crossover with Legends of Tomorrow, but it would cause some confusion if there was. Um, so there's that. Interesting side note. You know in the past when we've uh, talked about at length about Leah Thompson and her roles in various comic book film franchises? Oh, yes. Is she... Yeah. She's she now one of the she's now one of the key directors on Stargirl. Oh. <laughs> she's directed about three episodes of the latest season. Oh my god, she she tries to get out, but they just keep pulling her back in. So if if there's a Howard the Duck Stargirl crossover episode, you know why. I mean there's not gonna be though, is there? There's not, no. Or is that no? But yeah, so um, so yeah, the 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 whole, and it's 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 a shame that they have done that um, sort of rejigging of some of the key franchise. And I I get why with Lucifer it was necessary because um, that was a well, it started off on Amazon and then it went to Netflix and it was actually made by Fox and so there's a whole raft of problems with that property yeah uh, and, and even then without that i think that show kind of changed enough about lucifer that i, I don't think tom ellis really works like as a villain in this no and and the other thing is um even even in the comic books the lucifer spin-off comics were taken off in that direction by someone else Gaiman didn't really get involved with the Lucifer comics. Yeah, yeah, it was Mike Carey who wrote yeah. those. 
And yeah, I think there is still kind of quite a shift in character, as, yeah. as is inevitable, like when yeah. one writer takes over from another. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think from the stuff and and Sandman aired on Netflix, and but it was a Warner Brothers television production, wasn't it? I think. There was definitely a WB logo in the dreaming in the opening yeah, sequence. Well, it's, well it's, it's all owned by Warner Brothers, isn't it? Because yeah. it's still DC, so... So yeah, as, as much as I like Jenna Coleman, they, they very easily could have just, like, just maybe had Matt, Matt Ryan. Ryan. What, the existing Constantine? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, Con- Constantine. I like that all it's taken is for them to desperately try to create a different character for them to actually pronounce Constantine's name correctly. <laughs> but she's not an alcoholic from Liverpool. No, she's not. She's also... I don't know if they're going to change things up because in the comics, it's really only that one issue that John shows up in it and then I, I don't think he appears again in the series. No. Because it's... I mean, it's one of the things with Sandman. Is it with it initially being a DC comic, like, the earlier stories are a lot more heavily rooted in the DC universe. Yeah. So we've got a lot of other DC characters showing up, like sort of Phantom Stranger, Etrigan the Demon. I think even Martian Manhunter shows up in one issue at one point. Yeah, yeah. But then as the series goes on, and it kind of becomes more its own thing with Vertigo, it sort of steps away a bit more and tries to be more in its, a, in its own little corner. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So basically the point is, it seems like a bit of a waste of Jenna Coleman if she's not going to show up again. Yeah, and and I I get that the Calliope episode is a bit of a one shot. So, but Derek, for all that, Derek Jacobi seems like stunt casting. And I, you know, no disrespect to Arthur Darville, I've liked him in pretty much most of the stuff that I've seen him in. But he's not Derek Jacobi. And so for that one shot, you've got two two extremes of the the sort of cast. It. You've got the, the fan casting. Oh, this is a guy that we know from watching all these other DC shows and fantasy genre shows. That's Derek Jacobi. He's pretty much acting royalty. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it would have been nice to have seen a bit more of him in that episode. Yeah. And again, even even in that one shot, he's not in it very much. He probably gets more screen time as the master, to be fair. Yeah, because... I mean, I should probably actually explain that episode rather than just joking about it. So basically, the point of the episode is that Richard Maddock, played by Arthur Darville, is a struggling writer who goes to uh, Derek Jacobi, who's another writer. Or maybe he's just the actor Derek Jacobi. Let's Could just be. say he is. Yeah. And basically finds out that all the success he's had is because he's kept like the legendary Calliope, as in the, the muse. muse of legend, kind of captive. And he essentially gives her to Maddock and then he keeps her captive until... In, ex- in exchange for possibly the most disgusting piece of tribute ever, let's just Let's just pause and contemplate that for a moment. I mean, it's not a nice thing that he gives him in exchange for Calliope. 
Yeah, it's like a ball of hair, isn't it? Yeah, that's been digested or partially digested by some creature. I think it's an animal, isn't it? Or something. Yeah, it's... So we should probably point out this is one where I watched it kind of a, like a fair while ago. Yeah. We watched it more recently. So some of the, but yeah, it's definitely, it's some kind of wad of hair that's been eaten and spat back out. And then that gives it like magical properties or something. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, basically, Maddox keeps Calliope captive until she's able to like summon Morpheus to come help her because he's his ex-husband. Yes. She's also played by uh, Melisanthi Mahut, who apparently is like one of the lead voice actors in one of the Assassin's Creed games. Really? I yeah. Wouldn't, I wouldn't have to see, I think. I wouldn't have spotted that because I don't really play the Assassin's Creed games. No, I was just... I actually did some research for this show, Mick. Get out of town. I know, see, this is the point where you wake up and realise that this has all been just a dream. I mean, to be fair, I started doing my research for this 30 years ago when I picked up an issue of a Sandman comic. So there, stick that in your pre-preparation pipe. That's... I that's was going to say that's fair, even if I was only one at the time. That's how dedicated I am to this podcast. I, st- I started researching for it before the podcast even existed. That's wow, you're such a visionary, Mick. I'm a man out of time. So, yeah. I mean, basically, apart from graphs like that, Sandman, good series. The thing, the, the the thing is, it's it's one of those things where you see TV adaptations of comic book properties, and you see film adaptations of comic book properties, and you know, with your with your thinking head on, that there are going to be adaptations they have to make to the source material to make it work in another medium. And you appreciate that that's going to mean some reining in of the excesses of the the source material. But I think, if I'm honest, Sandman is probably as near perfect an adaptation as I've seen. Even taking that into account, taking into account budgetary restrictions, taking into account technological restrictions... You know, genetically altering a human being so they look like Morpheus is morally reprehensible, but it worked. That's fine. I'm sure that was in his contract. (laughs) Just got this image of some people in the night after he signed his contract dragging him off, putting him in a tank somewhere. Doing I do think while they're saying like he can rebuild him taller, skinnier, poutier than before. And he has this strange way of speaking that sounds like he's breathing in the whole time. He is like I am obvious of the endless. 
definitely it took me a sec to like get used to the voice but yeah it's it's the kind of voice like a weird ageless being would have (laughs) (laughs) either that or they've actually trapped the essence of morpheus and made him perform like some kind of seal they struck a deal with that's it the producers struck a deal with desire so so basically in essence in order to make the adaptation of sandman they've had to just create the plot of Sandman in your life. <laughs> they actually just... Yeah. Basically, the, the the executive producer, I don't care what name he's put on it in the finished product, but the executive producer was Charles Dance's character. Oh, my. See, that does actually sound like a plot from Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it it's like all those it's like all those plot points that you think oh well you know given given the the number of documentaries and bits and pieces and given things that are happening in the real world they're never going to do that serial killer convention but oh they have they have indeed they they even kept the joke about it being the serial convention yes yeah it's great and it's I think it. It's better for that. There's very little compromised in it. Yeah, I think probably the big thing that works in this show's favour is that they do have Neil Gaiman on it. Yes. And he's been very good at being able to go, right, here's the plot of Sandman. We can, like, cut away some ties to existing DC properties to make it more streamlined. And then just also say, Here's the good story stuff that we want to keep. And here's the stuff that's maybe not aged that well in like 20 years. Yeah. So we'll drop that and just like get the best result possible. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, to be fair, yes, I think having Gaiman on board was a good idea. But then Gaiman was on board for American Gods and that really rapidly disappeared up its own mythos. It kind of pulled it back for the third season, but... Yeah, maybe it's a case of needing Gaiman and then also, like, some people to balance him out. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Um. And Good Omens. Good Omens. The TV adaptation of that was enjoyable, but it missed out my favourite gag from the novel. Which was where the four horsemen of the apocalypse were on motorbikes, driving up the motorway, and they headed towards an overturned truck. And through the overturned truck they went, whoosh, 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 whoosh. And then the four other horsemen of the apocalypse, which were the teenage bikers that they'd just picked up and given them 21st century names, like instead of war, pestilence. Uh, starvation and death they were called poor signal strength and uh, chicken pox and (laughs) that kind of thing (laughs) yeast infection and and as they approached the overturned truck they went through it thud thud (laughs) thud thud because they didn't have spectral seeds That is a good joke. And it wasn't in the TV adaptation. 
I think why he's why he's in a TV adaptation where Rosanafel's played by Michael Sheen and you know Crowley the Demon is played by David Tennant. Why is that gag not in there? But hey ho. Maybe it's just not allowed to be too perfect. Well, maybe this is it. Maybe that's it. And 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 I must admit that Gaiman's work, I feel over the years. Audio aside, because the, the, the audio uh, adaptation in Neverwhere is quite good. I haven't listened to the audio adaptations of Sandman. I'm, I might go back and revisit them now. Um, but yeah, I think, from what I've heard, I think they're supposed to be quite good. But I, up to now, I've always been disappointed in some major way with realisations of, of gamers' work. The 1990s Neverwhere TV show is so awful so awful it's a brave attempt but it's a classic example of that you know the budget and the technology just weren't there to to pull it off properly um although the idea of peter capaldi playing the angel islington is just inspired genius so it did have its good moments but stardust brilliant book the film Left Me Cold. Um, American Gods really enjoyed the book. The TV show was all right, but it was a bit style over content. And I think that's the temptation when you adapt a a game. You you try and put Marvel special effects sensibilities onto what is essentially DC storylines. Yeah, and to be fair, I think a lot of his work does lend itself to big spectacle. Like, obviously, like The Sandman, half of it takes place in a world made entirely of imagination. Yeah. But I think the show is good at saying, but also, like, the real meat of this is just, like, Dream sitting on a park bench with his sister Death and just having a chat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's those... Oh, no, actually, I've remembered my other even more significant gripe about the series. Wow. More significant than the fact that a raven is actually a magpie. Yes. Wow. It's the dream meets up with death, played by Kirby Howell Baptiste, does a great job, except she does not say the words peachy keen. <laughs> but I think that's possibly because no one said the words peachy keen since uh, the final episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It is. It's one of those incredibly nice <laughs> faces, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did all that stuff that Death does in the comics, which is kind of like an aside, where she sort of interacts with humans that she's going to be reaping very shortly, and they've got a sort of there's a window just before you die where you've got this kind of vague connection to death so you can see her briefly in your last few days and she'll say things like see you soon and it's just this attractive girl saying see you soon to you but she somehow knows your name and then she goes off and does stuff with death and talks to him and chats away and then suddenly there's a road accident in the background and she turns around to Morpheus and goes I've got to go (laughs) 
And it, I, I love that. That was that was one of my favourite aspects of Death in the Comics all those years ago, and it was good to see that in there. Yeah, I mean, definitely that issue with Death is probably one of my favourites of the comics. Yeah. And again, was one of my favourites in the TV show. Yeah. Even, even to be fair, if that episode was probably the most clearly, this is two issues of a comic book that we've stuck together. Yeah. Um, 30 minutes death is dream is going to do a thing and then he's going to go do a different thing because that's the next issue the uh, i think out of the out of the depictions of the endless the only thing i think that was a little bit um disappointing was um the 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 one the, the member of the endless that's with desire that's kind of his course con- conspirator or their co-conspirator. Um, um, is it? What is it? Is it delirium? Is it despondency? Oh God, that's. Because in the comics, delirium was one of my favourite characters because you really, genuinely never knew what you were going to get. Yeah, uh, and that's because because destiny is like. The big boss endless, isn't he? Yeah, and that wasn't destiny. Yeah, then you've got dream, death, desire. There was definitely a delirium. Yeah, I can't remember. Who was sometimes called confusion. Because there's one member of the endless. I can't remember if that's delirium or not where they were called something else, where then they disappear and then they come back, but they've like lost their minds. Yeah. That's no, no despair is the one who works with desire. Yeah. Delirium. I don't think, I don't think we saw delirium this time around, did we? Yeah. Because delirium doesn't show up until a bit later in the series. Yeah. But yeah, that that but, one was despair because she's quite weepy. Yeah, but even even then, it, she. I seem to remember her playing a bigger part in the comics than she does in the series. Yeah, because from my memory, the whole thing is it's desi- desire and despair working together, mm. rather than desire being like the main mastermind and despair yeah. just kind of being a, a tagger along. I mean, maybe they changed it because they wanted to avoid that Spider-Man 3 controversy. Because there was a lot of other stuff going on, so if you throw in two villains, maybe it's a bit too much. But... Yeah, it it might have been that. Yeah. Because if you throw in Corinthian as well, although Corinthian's more of a henchman, really. Yeah, Corinthian. I, th- I think the general term for Corinthian is they tend to get referred to as the dragon, where they're like a henchman. Yeah. But, but like an important henchman, like yeah. the sort of second in command. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, and, and then you've got one-off villains like uh, like John. Yeah. Who in the comics is called Doctor Destiny. Yes. Just to confuse things. Yes, because it's. But basically, one of the initial things that Sandman was doing was taking a lot of kind of very similar... Like, I know there was two previous versions of Sandman 
there are characters like Doctor Destiny as well who's got like weird dream powers. Yeah. And just kind of trying to like merge them all together. Yeah. So any other gripes? Um, no gripes, but I could go into the horrendously confusing backstory of Hector and Lighter Hall. Well, you could. But I actually thought that was quite good. I I I followed that. I didn't find that at all confusing. That's because in this, they're just two normal people. Yes. Whereas in the comics... So, before we can explain Hector and Lighter Hall, we need to explain, like, all of DC continuity as well. Yeah, that's not going to happen in, like, you know, the space of a reasonably lengthy podcast, is it? Yeah. Basically, the key points were, at one point in DC continuity, all the Justice League stuff took place on Earth-1, and then all the stuff with a bunch of older heroes called the Justice Society of America took place on Earth 2. Okay? Okay. So, later on, there was a new series called Infinity Inc., which was set on Earth 2 and was about the children of the Justice Society of America. And two of those kids were Hector Hall, who was the son of Carter Hall and Shire Hall, Hawkman and Hawkgirl, who are their own convoluted mess. We'll not get into it. And and, and, and they're not Thanagarians, right? Yes, those versions of Hawkman and Hawkgirl were not Thanagarians. Okay. And then Lighter Hawk... So, actually, yeah, Hector Hall called himself the Silver Scarab because he had, a, like, a silvery beetle armour. Okay. Like the Blue Beetle, but not the Blue Beetle. But more silvery. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then Lighter Hall was... Basically, they were short for Hippolyta Hall. She was the daughter of Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor. So, they fell in love, got married, had a child, Hector died, it was sad. But then, Crisis on Infinite Earths happened, and the two, Earth 1 and Earth 2, got merged together. So then they had to do some wiggling about, because obviously Lighter couldn't be Wonder Woman's daughter, because Wonder Woman wasn't around in World War II anymore. So instead, they basically just found a different superhero whose last name was Trevor and said, yeah, she's her daughter now. Right. Well, I think I prefer the TV adaptations version. Oh, but we haven't even got to the point where, where Hector's soul gets put into the body of the second Sandman who went crazy and killed himself. But then it turns out that Hector wasn't really alive. He was just a ghost. So Dream of the End has banished him. But then he came back as a baby, born of Lighter. But it wasn't actually Lighter. It was Dove of Hawk and Dove. And then he got old, and they turned into Doctor Fate, and then they died. <laughs> right. Do you want to continue with this, or shall we rank and rate it? I think we should maybe rank and rate it. Right. I've, I've got a concern. All right. What is our number one at the minute? Uh, our current number one is Moon Knight. Right. So I've never read a Moon Knight comic and therefore don't realise 
how closely or otherwise it adapts the source material. Whereas Sandman, I think he's quite good at adapting the source material. It's our new number one, right? I mean, it's it's an argument I'd struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and I think because, I'm old yeah. one. <laughs> as, as someone who has read both, Sandman is definitely a more faithful adaptation of Moot. Sandman is more faithful. Off, it, I mean, that's something. That's an achievement, isn't it? For Sandman to be a more move, faithful adaptation of Moon Knight than Moon Knight is. No. I mean, it, to be fair, in terms of adaptations, Sandman is a terrible Marvel adaptation. I mean, he doesn't turn into a big man made out of sand. He doesn't even fight Spider-Man at any point. Yet. Right, maybe they're saving that for season two. Maybe. Or the She-Hulk crossover. But yeah, I think that does kind of come on to like maybe my one sort of point of contention is that Moon Knight I think tells like much more of a complete story in that one season. Whereas this is clearly kind of part one of however many series to get out of Sandman. Because it is all like one big continuous thing. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's the problem for Sandman. It can never be an adaptation of an episode in, in Sandman because Sandman doesn't work like that. So I'm pulling my trump card where you pulled rank on me and I said and you said I could have another one. I'm pulling rank now. I'm saying this is a better adaptation. I mean, I will point out you did actually use up your card just to get Eternals like slightly lower down on the list than it was originally going to be. Yeah, but it's shit. I mean, that's that's not really pulling rank, is it? Trying to get something lower down the list. I mean, I'm going to allow it only because I don't like a hundred percent disagree with you. And 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 also, you don't want to face derision. I mean, basically, <laughs> if I let Sandman be number one, then we can end the episode, and then you'll never do that voice again. Absolutely. There you go. Well, not until we do season two, anyway. I mean, it's Netflix. Like, season two will be like three years, and then we'll probably get cancelled halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> no, what we'll get is we'll get season two, part one in three years' time. And then in four and a half years' time, we'll get season two, part two. And in the middle, they'll announce that that's the last season. Yeah. I can't wait for the episode of season four, part two, where they finish the CGI for it, like a week after they've released the episode. (laughs) That's weird, isn't it, that Netflix do that? They patch episodes after they release them. (laughs) Like like some kind of faulty game developer. I know. it, It is like... One of the big downsides of streaming. Yeah, have you have you watched uh, Stranger Things series four? Ah, did you watch v- version one point two or just version zero point one beta? Yeah, I I know a lot of people don't like the series ending, but if you get the DLC, it actually makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Oh dear. 
Right, are we done? We've got a new number one TV adaptation. In DVD, The Sandman is our new number one. Take that, Moon Knight. So, oh, by the way, did I mention the fact that Hector Hall gets aged from a baby to an adult in like three seconds? No. Well, he does. Okay. Well, in that case, that whole storyline now makes perfect sense. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Because comics. Ah, because comics. So, with that, I think that's about it from us. Indeed. If you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Mick. So long, and thanks for listening. 